0: Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. And I gotta say, you never know where a conversation can take you. I certainly had no idea this podcast would be headed towards sex doll robots. Started as a simple connection. When I flew to New York to have a conversation with James Altucher... I sat down with his producer, Steve Cohn, over some New York City pizza. Now, Steve's a fountain of ideas, and he suggested that if I ever got a chance, I should meet with Linda Papadopoulos. I had no idea who Linda Papadopoulos was. He told me, Linda is a renowned psychologist in the UK. we would written a book about the differences in the way men and women see one another. It was called, What Men Say, What Women Hear. Now, a topic like that fascinates me. I was immediately all in. But then Steve said that Linda would be coming through Los Angeles for a short time, and I might be able to meet her there upon my return home. Perfect timing. Linda had been on holiday... Don't you love how Europeans use that word holiday instead of vacation? Linda had been on holiday in Japan and was making her way back to Europe with a stop in L.A. While in town, she headed over to meet me for breakfast with Larry King and the boys. I'm still not sure how it came up, but somewhere in the breakfast conversation, the subject of sex doll robots... Appeared. And these robots became the bulk of the conversation you're about to hear in today's podcast. I had not a clue. The idea that you could buy a life size sex partner of the dimensions that you choose, that could talk to you in just the way you wished, that could be programmed by AI to converse with you about Shakespeare. Well, that knocked me for a loop. And not only that, these dolls could be programmed to store information about you and read your facial expressions in order to say what you'd like to hear. And this is not 20 years down the road. This is right now for about 8,000 bucks. Where this is going, I have no idea, but it's going fast. I walked away from our conversation determined to begin talking with futurologists to understand what on earth is happening right in front of my nose without me knowing it. The conversation you're about to hear starts with the theme of women, men, and our differences, and gets to a bizarre place where you wonder whether men and women will ever need to understand each other in the future because AI, artificial intelligence, will be able to give us robotic partners programmed to please us in every way all the time. Although this conversation is a bit spooky, it's discussions like these that take me to a new place. And conversations that take me to new places are exactly why I love doing this podcast. I want to thank my sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter, for making this episode happen. You'll hear more about these two companies in the mid-roll. But let's get straight to some basic biological differences between women and men. And after a while, we'll get to the sex doll robots. (music) I remember my good friend uh, and uh, one of the first supermodels, Lauren Hutton, telling me that, look, here's the deal, Cal. Men are just biologically set off to look for as many women as they can. And she's taking it back into nature, the, the male species and women are designed to catch like the best male and we're just playing this all out mm-hmm. when we're different rules have been established but she was saying that when you mm-hmm. get down very mm-hmm. deep that's what's there.
1: Well, look, you know, if you accept the evolutionary sort of model of what the point is, why are we here? And if it is about ensuring your genes have the best chance, well, my genes will have the best chance if I have as few children as possible, but have someone that will help me give those genes the best chance of surviving. So mate that sticks around, that helps me, you know, ensure that they're well taken care of, that they're safe. For you, it probably makes more sense to, um, you know, to get those genes out there as much as possible, right? Because you can. You can have, you know, you can play the numbers game in a way that a woman can't, oh, very man. simply. <laughs> if um, I try
0: this a million times, well, yeah, one, one of, of them's, them's going to work. work.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to kind of take it to its basest level, of course, that is what it is now now you know, obviously we know that <laughs> life is much more complicated than that, but you know if you really want to strip it down to your genes surviving, then yeah, of course there, there are going to be differences
0: so how does this play out when we're very young, when we're teenagers and when we first develop attractions uh, do do men at that point start saying things to get the woman to believe that yes, you're the only one, knowing that that's what she's looking for? Or I, I don't know what what are men saying and what are women hearing?
1: Well, do you know what I think? If I was writing this book today, it would be very different, and I think it would be it very different. Yeah, I think just because we've changed because of social media because of the amplified self-awareness on social media, because of the barriers to me saying something to you and seeing you react immediately. So I have that barrier of the screen so I can escalate sexual behavior very, very quickly. I can go from, hi, how are you? To within a few texts, sending you um, nude photos very easily. Um, I think, And we
0: couldn't do that 10 years ago, really? Well,
1: it, it wasn't around, was it? So I'd have to... You know, I'd have to see, you know, see you in a bar, you'd have to kind of make the eye contact, you'd have to break the ice, you'd, you know, you'd be open to all of those reactions of rejection that are kind of very face to face. It's very, very, you couldn't play the numbers game, you know, so you're in a bar, if you're going from girl to girl to girl, they're all going to notice. But if you're on some some website and you've got 17 conversations happening at once... No one can see. So I think it's it's a very different time. I think it's also a different time for the way that we kind of assess each other. I had um, a lovely young uh, patient say to me the other day, she was like, look, Linda, when I'm outside and I see a guy, I don't think, you know, you're cute, but you're not exactly five foot ten, so I'm not going to speak to you. She goes, but when I kind of put my parameters on these dating websites, I've got inside on a height, I say, okay, five, ten and above. So immediately the parameters that we use for attraction or, you know, how we how we decide, you know, who we're going to give a chance to or not, that changes. And also, and I think I feel that this is kind of one of the biggest problems with dating today, I think this whole drop down and click menu on everything, right? This overwhelming amount of choice. So you can have your coffee 35 ways and your holiday 50 ways. I think we're starting to apply that to, to human beings, right? And I think the overwhelming response to too much choice is, of course, what if I made the wrong decision, right? That's always the overwhelming response. And there's so much choice out there. So every, every girl or guy you swipe, you know, left to or right to, there's, there's, there's hundreds of others that you haven't. And, and the question is always, well, mm, you know, I'm really happy, but could, could I possibly be happier?
0: You know what's interesting about where this conversation is going I am not interested in where things were. I'm interested in where things are going, this world that I know nothing about. I'm, I've been married for 26 years. You met my wife and my youngest daughter this morning. I have no idea what it's like for young people or even older people to meet somebody that they're attracted to. I it's very distant from me I, do they use different language that i would have used 30 40 years ago
1: so i um, i i i, I, I so i'm an ambassador for a charity in the uk um, that's that helps sort of parents help their kids work with the online world. And and one of the things that we did a while back as a study into the way that online relationships have changed, and we looked at the relationships of young people, sort of 13 to 19 year olds. We found, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting the stat right, but it was very, high. I think something in the region of about 30% had said they'd never met their boyfriend or girlfriend, but here's the catch. Never intended on meeting them either. So it's not just that you have a generation of people meeting online, but increasingly we're having a generation of people that are, are happy to kind of just keep things online for as long as possible. Now, that might be a product of the fact that there's an anxiety. I'm young. I'm not sure what it's going to be like when I see you. It may be a product of the fact that I just feel really comfortable with my identity as I've established it online. And I'm not sure if I can transfer that into the real world. It may be something short-lived, but I certainly think, you know, without, you know, trying to sound sensationalist, that that's a very interesting thing to see.
0: So are people changing their language because they may be thinking, I'm going to turn myself into somebody else over the internet and attract something else, where it's maybe harder to do that when you meet them, just for and I'll get to this, we both seem to be fascinated with body language, it it almost sounds like if you're sending somebody a text, you can be completely different.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's fewer giveaways, right? So we've had, you know, thousands of years of, of evolution where I kind of, I see you blink or I see you smile or I see you look away and instinctually I get a feeling about that right we, we all have that what would we say a gut instinct what's a gut instinct this is this is all those years of evolution that kind of gives you some insight into someone else because you're picking up on things that you don't realize you're picking up on of course you know in a two-dimensional text that stuff's not going to be there so the idea that I can um exaggerate intent, hide intent, manipulate intent, of course it's going to be easier, but I don't think that that's what I'm saying necessarily. I think what I'm saying is that even when that's not there, it just becomes a bit more comfortable because I think there's a vulnerability to 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 the face-to-face stuff that, that there isn't when you're behind a screen. I think it's also why trolling happens, right? I think there's also a safety, there's a distance. So we know, like to use <laughs> the metaphor of weapons, right? We know that if it was hand-to-hand combat, it's a lot harder to hurt someone because I have to physically come near you. If I'm shooting you with a gun, the further away I am, the more people I can hit. Well, I think it's kind of the same thing, right? That sort of, you know, the face-to-face of getting with you or breaking up with you or establishing a relationship or ruining a relationship. I'm needing to deal with all of your emotions. My emotions is all being played out. When there's a screen between us, it's just, it's shorthand. It's a lot easier.
0: I don't know if these facts are correct, but I've often cited them because somebody told me and they sounded instinctually right to me, uh, but uh, you know, I've been told that communication is 10% the words that we say, um, 30% the tone of voice, and 60% the body language. Does that sound
1: Yeah. Pretty- Within, yeah. So I think I think people put a much bigger emphasis on what it's said than what is said rather than how it's said. So, as psychologists, right? So when you're doing therapy with someone, you very much look for incongruence. So if I'm saying to you, I'm really happy, but you see my head slouched and my my you know corners of my mouth down, and you're going to note that like, uh, Linda's saying she's really happy, but that doesn't make sense. Right? That's important. But Which be, you
0: would never know over a text. You, That's the point. Well,
1: of course you wouldn't know. Absolutely. But here's, here's the real crux now. They did a study um, a while back. I can't remember the name of the researchers, but they looked at... They compared psychologists um, looking at, at, uh, at couples arguing, their assessment of whether their relationship would last or not. And then they used AI that didn't actually look at the language spoken, but looked for things like inflection and in voice, how often we interrupted each other, you know, things that actually a human ear couldn't pick up, right? So the, the tempo. And they found that the AI, the artificial intelligence, was, was a better predictor of, of looking at the longevity of relationships than psychologists that had all this data around, you know. So, so imagine this. Oh, man. Yeah. So this is like even a step further, right? So we're saying that we have, you know, the ability to look at body language and that's important, that's nuanced. Now we're moving on screen, but eventually we're going to move to a place where we have algorithms that can do this better than, yeah. Than humans, will we be able
0: to, because of all this new technology, find the right person for us easier than we did in the old days?
1: So, here's the thing we have technology. If you look at sort of dating websites, if you look at the sort of e harmonies of this world, the you know, K the the big ones, match.coms. Um, Their their data show, I know this is certainly for eHarmony, that um, you're significantly more likely if you're matched by them to not have a divorce. However, however, the problem is is that while they have wonderful algorithms for matching for long-term relationship success, they don't have wonderful algorithms for matching for that initial attraction, that chemistry, because that's much more complicated. And actually, a lot of the reasons that, that you and I would have met our partners are things that don't um, assume long-term success. For example, you would have had to find your partner attractive, she would have had to have found you attractive, you would have to be been in the same area, you would have both have to have been open to a relationship. Now, when you look at the stuff that actually matters for long-term success, it's more things like um, similar moral compass. Uh, similar IQ. Um, what happens when?
0: I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, go, go ahead. No, I just That question just bursts out. Yeah, yeah. Me. What happens when people of different IQs come together?
1: Well, uh, the research, uh, the research that we have on it shows that eventually it's 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 not going to work because initially, you know, you you will find it emotionally nourishing to kind of you know when it's all. Um, those initial stages of getting to know each other and um, and you have a lot of the the kind of the physical aspects and that can kind of be louder than anything else you need in those first parts of a relationship. But I think as it begins to crystallize, if the first time you tell me a joke and I don't get it, you find it cute, and the third time you find it cute, by the 10th time I'm not getting your jokes or I'm not understanding you, you're going to find that grating. Um, so- I remember
0: Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> telling me, he who laughs last didn't get it the first time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> and, and so after a while, if people are mismatched by IQ, the, you're probably going to get a, a, some kind of divide because the one with the higher I, IQ is going to somehow feel like shortchanged and the one with the lower IQ is going to feel uncomfortable.
1: I guess so, yeah. I think, I think what will end up happening is you, you just won't feel like you're speaking, you won't feel as interested in each other. I think it goes both ways, right? And I, I think it's just one variable, but moral compass is another really big one, right? So we might have the same IQ, but we might be very, very different on what we believe on, I don't know, when, you know I, what's going on in Syria or immigration or I don't know. So or, you if, know, where if you
0: have somebody who supports Hillary and somebody <laughs> who supports Trump... <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. I don't know how, how long that would, that would last, uh, frankly. Um, yeah, need a few more PhDs and studies to kind of uh, figure out how yeah, that would work, but you know.
0: So I, I, inter- I interrupted you on that question about IQ. What were some of the other ways...
1: Uh, so, yeah, so um, similar life goals. Sense of humor is a big one. You know, when people say, I want someone with a sense of humor, what they actually mean is I want someone with my sense of humor. And, and, <laughs> but, but I think, mean, but that's important, right? Because right. why is that? You know, it's that feeling. And we had this amazing breakfast this morning. And thank you again. That was like so much fun. But one of the things that was great is that you, when I, uh, the way that you were all speaking, you could tell you were all in on the joke. Now, why is that? That, why is that nice? Because it means we understand each other. We have a connectivity. We have a similar worldview. We get each other. So sense of humor is a lot deeper than just like I'm making you laugh. Sense of humor is that you and I see the world in a similar way and perhaps even better. We see it in a way that maybe others don't. And that kind of gives us a bit of intimacy. And that's, I think, what, you know, binds people.
0: Uh, so there's an exclusivity to the friendship.
1: Yeah, yeah. And idiosyncrasy. It's like it's our thing. This is us.
0: I got it. And, and so what happens to us in a world where everything is going to be done through mobile phones? And it's not even computers anymore. And how soon will it be before the mobile phones are turned into glasses? And how soon before whatever is in those glasses is inserted in our heads?
1: Um, I think already we're augmented, aren't we? Like, you know, the average seven-year-old today can tell you stuff that the president of the United States 40 years ago, you know, just couldn't, right, with the use of a mobile. So already, I think these uh, digital prostheses we walk around with are such an integral part of the way that we experience the world. I, I think it's just, Clearly, when you look at what futurologists are saying, it's a matter of time. So wearable technologies are already very much available, as you know, and, and these will become more and more seamless. Um, That's the first time
0: I heard the word futurologists. Yeah. It's a beautiful it, word. It
1: is, and it's it's fascinating. You ever get a chance to listen to some of their talks. It's it's so re- there are
0: people who walk around, and you say, "Hi, what do you do?" I'm a futurologist. Tri- yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> amazing. I right? mean, they, they would identify themselves that way.
1: Well, yeah, they, they many of them do, many of them do.
0: I gotta find out who these people are. You,
1: you do. You need to get them on the pocket. There's just some, and what they do is they kind of look at uh, societal trends. They look at technological trends. And they say to you, um, this is what's going to be happening in five years' time. This is what your phone's going to look like. This is what you're going to look like. <laughs> this is what's going to happen.
0: Do you know what's going to happen?
1: Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's an area that I, I follow very intently. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I sit on advisory boards for a lot of um, the big Internet companies. So um, it, it's interesting, right, because as a psychologist working for years, Um, There's a sort of a finite amount of of psychological disorders that we've dealt with over a huge period of time and now we're starting to see new things arising as uh, because of technology. So, for example, we all know what self harm is, and interestingly enough, when I was training, if someone was self harming, they you know usually had a personality disorder, quite serious. And then we saw this sort of there was a shift, and we saw a, very, a lot of young people self harming, and and um, and this is something that um, that we know is happening a lot, either with cutting or hurting. Um, a few, about a year or two ago, I was involved um, looking at um, a case of a, a young girl who had uh, committed suicide. She'd been very badly bullied online. Um, when we looked at who was doing the bullying, we found that in this case, this young person um, was sending themselves abusive messages and we're beginning to see a trend of digital self-harm. Now, I've been a psychologist for, I don't know how long now, 20 years now, and um, there's no book for this. <laughs> we haven't learned how to deal with. I can guess. And that- this is
0: something that wasn't happening forty years ago, oh, fifty gosh, years ago.
1: No, no, no. I mean, why? It-
0: why do people want to send themselves harmful messages over the internet?
1: I think there's several reasons. Um, we think that one of them is. To feel visible, right? I think, you know, this idea that if a tree falls and there's no one there to hear it, does it fall? I think with the online world, you know, if something happens and there's nothing there to post about it, has it ever happened? I think that's very pertinent, especially for young people. So I think it's 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 showing the pain in the same way, the cutting. I think it's feeling it. I think it um, I, I think in, in other ways. It's about making it tangible, which is what the cutting often is about. But again, I'm saying all this. These are my theories. I don't have any research to attest to this per se. We're still researching it now. What I'm saying is this is all new. We're playing catch up, right? We're playing catch up with young men that decide that, um, you know what? I don't need to have a relationship with a girl. I'd rather stay at home and watch online porn because no girl could ever live up to that. And I'm fine. You know these are these are all new things we're playing catch up with kids that you know or young people that are you know, so addicted to, to gaming that that, you know, it's to the detriment of what they're eating or going out. We're we're playing you know, we're playing catch up with all of these things. You know, the average person checks their phone 200 times a day. The average millennial has, um, I was reading a study the other day, has a worse memory than most seniors these days because memory isn't being consolidated because we're constantly being interrupted with all our digital media. So I guess what I'm saying is both our mental health and our cognitive health is certainly being impacted by this, you know, by what's going on. And I don't think there's anyone regulating it. You know, I I think we're all just kind of sleepwalking into it.
0: There were so many things that you just brought up that I wanted to get at, but the, the thing that immediately came to mind, maybe it shows the power of the way sex impacts us or the drive for sex. What is going to happen to these young boys that you were talking about that are sitting and watching porn and basically feeling it's not going to get any better than this so I don't have to leave the room. What, Where does that go?
1: I think what we consume certainly affects our worldview and I think, I think very few of us curate what we consume, right? I mean, um, you know what it's like, you, you're you sent a, a vid funny video, you watch that, it leads you onto another link, onto another link, and by the end of it, it's four hours later. Well, it's like that with pornography, right? And and if you look at the type of pornography that, or the predominant type of pornography out there, it's very, a lot of it combines sort of, um, one of the big problems is aggression with sex, which I think is a, is a big issue. I think the other, it's its a very kind of uniform type of body that you have. So you have, um, you know, uh, uh, women with, uh, many of them with fake breasts or with, very little pubic hair, any kind of hair at all, likewise men. So there's a kind of, even the idea of what a normal body looks like is is being distorted. And then there's, of course, all the expectations of, you know, of, of how long things last for and how much, you know, manly prowess you should have or how much, uh, you know, uh, attractive, uh um, how, how much beauty or attractiveness you should have as a woman. So I think it's, you know, I always used to say to my daughter, um, you know, learning how to have sex by watching porn is like learning how to drive by watching The Fast and the Furious, right? It's just there. there, There's no. They're two different things. Yet, if that's the predominant thing that you are exposing yourself to and the it, first thing and the very indeed the, of course the very first thing it becomes not only uh you know aspirational it becomes normalized it becomes what you expect and then everything else potentially feels less than and it always, it's also consumptive it's about consumption it's about consuming mm-hmm. and objectifying and, and that's very dangerous for young women as well you know to a point this idea of constantly sort of you know um this idea of the subject and the object and there's a whole literature on this of course but you know this this over objectification you know of 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 young, you know of women in porn to be used and cuz it's not you know it's not what there was around in the 70s i remember doing a report i did a report for the government a few years ago for the home office in the uk on the objectification and sexualization of young women and i thought i knew what what porn was I thought it was sort of like that 1970s here's your pizza bum chick, a wow wow and you have a couple of people and I was like oh, clearly that's what porn but it's not I remember sitting there in um, the offices of the the BBFC they're the ones that kind of give the 18 ratings or this or that and and just seeing the most usually it's one woman with many 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 guys and and a very kind of aggressive nature. And I remember the guy saying to me at the time, this was back in 2010, 11, he was saying to me, I feel like we're tending a garden and there's like a whole forest growing up around us. He goes, because we can put 18 ratings on our ratings, but this is all online. And most people we know get their media predominantly online. Most people now, the very few people, you know, will kind of get it from anywhere that's regulated like TV or cinema. So Um, And and I did think that that definitely has an impact for future relationships and expectations.
0: So, and and you mentioned over breakfast, these sexual robots that are being created. Could could you just give everybody a description so they can visualize what's going on out there?
1: Well, so... um, we all uh, we all know. <laughs> so the idea of a sex doll has been around for a long time. And then, so increasingly, these sex dolls have become more and more realistic. Now, there's a technology where you can have a, a sex doll with artificial intelligence. What does that mean? It means now that these dolls are no longer just about kind of, you know, fooling around with having sex with. You can sit down and you can, you know, watch TV with her. She'll ask you how your day was, he or she, because you have male and female sex dolls, of course. Um, you can get them programmed if you're into I don't know Shakespeare or you know Middle Eastern philosophy. you can get that programmed in there. You can program the accent that they have. And at the moment, these dolls are still kind of you know quite basic. However, we know that um, personality variables, like we were speaking about before, right? our, you know, if, if we know someone's personality traits, we can probably match them up with someone depending on that other person's personality traits. So potentially what we'll be able to do is say, Cal, these are your big five personality traits. This is how you were brought up. These are your interests. So I will now be able to program an AI, artificial intelligence, and put it in a shape of body and look, a face, size, everything. That's exactly what you want with all the personality traits that you want. But wait, it doesn't stop there because very soon, and again, we're not here yet, but you know that, When you read your Kindle, potentially your Kindle can read you. It already knows where you stop and what you highlight, but very soon biometrically they'll be able to see where your eyes dilate where your heart beats, what you're really interested in. Once that technology goes into the doll, means that you come home, you say, hi, she knows what you're feeling before you know what you're feeling. She knows what to say to, to make you feel good or bad. Oh, so man. how on earth is your lovely wife of 26 years or, you know, going to compete with that or vice versa?
0: Gloria, don't worry.
1: <laughs> don't worry. I love you. I ain't going anywhere. Sorry, Gloria. I just, you know, but it's, you know, it's, I, I'm kind of slightly being facetious, but it's, it's actually the technology is not far off. And there are. So
0: uh, you can program these dolls not to fight with you.
1: They're, <laughs> you could,
0: yeah. they're always going to be kind to you.
1: Or to challenge you. So maybe you're the kind of guy that's into, you know, or the kind of girl that's into being challenged. You program them any way that you want to surprise you, to challenge you, to be very docile, to be very dominant, whatever floats your boat. Once we get to that point, what, you know, what's in it for us as as a race, right? The messiness of a relationship that I've got to go up to you in a bar and ask for your number and maybe you reject me. And if you don't reject me, we spend all this time trying to develop this thing, but you still kind of, we get on each other's nerves a bit, but we're not sure if we can do any better. Like, you know, what's the point once we can have someone, you know, designed for us exclusively?
0: I wasn't quite sure how to do the ads for this week's podcast. Yeah, the sex doll robots may get a large audience, but what's the tie in? There is one the future. Both of my sponsors are all about the future. If you're starting a new business, you're thinking about the future. And if you want to show the world where you're going, there's no better way to do that online than Squarespace. That's why I choose Squarespace to powercalfussman.com. I've gotten so many compliments on my site, and a lot of them are because of the way the photos pop on Squarespace and the way the messaging comes across so clearly. Check it out, or check out squarespace.com. And if you use the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you'll get 10% off your next domain name or website. So if you're starting a business, power it with Squarespace and let the world see the power of your future. And ZipRecruiter. If you run a business, you know that your future is going to depend on the people you hire. And there's no better way to hire than with ZipRecruiter. I know the people who started this company. I know the people who work there. They're striving for excellence every day. So, if you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. Type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll be able to get qualified candidates within 24 hours. Often, a lot quicker than that. You might click in your job description before lunch, and have qualified candidates on your computer when you get back to your desk. You just can't do any better than that because you're gonna be getting a free trial on me. So let ZipRecruiter's algorithms find the talent you need. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. I had no idea this was coming my way when I woke up this morning. (laughs) How long, how f- long is it going to be before everybody's got access to this?
1: I don't know that everyone will want access to it. I and you know, again, well, I, I, I think there's a place. You,
0: you're, it's available to everyone.
1: Well, I think currently the, the basics are so, so a doll that looks the way that you want that can speak to you with basic things. how is your day? I think your joke is really funny. <laughs> so you have that available.
0: Okay, so it's just like
1: that's definitely sex already doll. Uh, yeah, 1. they're about 0. eight thousand dollars. Yeah,
0: eight thousand dollars. Yeah,
1: I think they're about eight thousand dollars. And
0: and are the like so these aren't like inflatable dolls. They're no. what do they look like?
1: Very lifelike. They are very lifelike. You know, real like the, they blink. They do micro you know, micro expressions. Now this is the interesting thing. So um, there's something in psychology called the uncanny valley. So when what we find attractive are a little so if you kind of look at the little robots with kind of like the baby like like pretend face, like two round eyes, a smiley face, that's cute, right? It looks like a plastic white thing, but you know that it isn't real. And we find that really, really, you know, cute and comfortable. What we don't find comfortable is dolls that approximate to reality, but they're so close but slightly off, right? And that's the uncanny valley where you look real but you're not, and I see something's weird. We're very close to kind of going over the uncanny valley and having these dolls look so lifelike that that barrier to connection, right? That barrier will no longer be there. In addition, um, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so the,
0: basically, you're with this. Like, how does it? F- it feels human.
1: No it, no, it feels one that I uh, kind of feel, feels a bit sort of rubbery, latexy. But again, they have micro hairs. I mean, it does it, it looks very human. Not a hundred percent human, but very, very close. And I think again, you need to remember, as uh, you know, psychologically. You and I spoke about this on the drive up here. We become attached to things. This isn't something new, right? Kids have their favorite blankets that they speak with. Um, you know, uh, oh, sleep- man. yeah. So the idea that these dolls that you can't form a connection with is ridiculous. You will very, very much be able to form a deep connection with these dolls. And look, on a serious note, there may be a place for them. We know that there's a lot of people that aren't able to leave their houses that are very lonely disabled people disabled. Yeah, so there may be a place for them my worry is is what happens if i just become the kid at high school that you know didn't you know bloom very early so i was rejected by a bunch of guys or girls so i kind of just opt out completely from trying again and i i just get one of these dolls that we know in psychology avoidance as a solution is one of the biggest problems the more i avoid the more comfortable i get in, in my fear, right? And staying away from whatever it is I fear. So I'm not going to be rejected anymore by all these, these girls or guys out there, I'm going to get a doll, not going to, I'm going to stop trying. I think that's where the worry is.
0: And are these dolls female and male, or are they just female?
1: They're female and male.
0: Male dolls Mm -hmm. too. And so you, if you can pick your size. No, I, I, here's the thing about this. I remember somebody telling me, wherever the future is going, look and see what pornography is doing because it will be at the cutting edge. And what you're what you're telling me is there's obviously a, like a market yeah. for this. And if people are gonna pay for it, yeah. It will be built.
1: It will be built, and we know there's already people. Um, I think in Japan that have married their avatars, their online sort of created sort of avatars that they have a relationship with, and they've asked to to marry them. So, this idea that this is a very far away in the future, I don't think is true at all. I think
0: people will want to marry their dolls.
1: I think so potentially. I think. I think. Look, you know, there's a lot of loneliness in this world.
0: It's amazing. Somebody told me the other day, this fact that shocked me. One out of four people in the United States do not have a friend. Oh my gosh. And now you drop that on me, and I'm making this connection and then thinking, hey, if you're one of those people, mm-hmm. you can have a doll that's going to say exactly what you want to hear or challenge you yeah. in the way you want to be challenged.
1: Or teach you. Teach you,
0: be intimate with you. I I what's the cleanup process like? How does that work?
1: And <laughs> they're dishwasher safe or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get around. No, but look, you know, you look at these things and on the face of it, it's like it's ridiculous, and you laugh. But actually, look, these things are coming into our society. I'm gonna say, you know, again, something that's even more insidious, these dolls. Uh, very um, frighteningly, in my opinion, can be made as children. So you can have, um, for pedophiles, child sex robots. And the theory is, and these are available, in fact, they were only disallowed in the US, I think, less than a month ago, <laughs> they were disallowed. And the theory is this that the uh, pedophile has these tendencies much better, obviously, and it's true, much better they act them out with an object. However, there's no research to attest to this. What it may do is just normalize that behavior. Right. So again, we have something available that may or may not be helping, and if it's not helping, it may be conf- you know confounded, making something much much worse.
0: And we have no idea well, where this is going.
1: Well, no one's on to- on top of it, like you know. And I and I think. I think this is, it's really interesting to me that the, you know, everything else in our world is regulated, but the sort of the online world is this wild west and we kind of believe that it's the one space that should be completely, completely like just let and I look, I, I'm all for entrepreneurship. I'm all for technological. And of course I am. You know, I love my phone. I love my tech. But I do think there's something very disingenuous about kind of saying that, oh, it'll all work itself out. You know, when people kind of try and compare c- questions about this with like to the Luddites and like, oh, well, this is just like when you know, you, you had the internal combustion engine and people lost their jobs in factories. No, this is artificial intelligence. This stuff could potentially, you know, overtake us soon. And it's and I this is, you know, what I think. I think that everything else that's happened in society, we've had a chance to get used to it, right? We've had a chance to get used to the telephone and the television and all this. This stuff is progressing faster than I think we're evolving psychologically. I, I really do. I think we're constantly playing catch up. And I think it's, it's being intellectually, morally, just, just dishonest to kind of say, it's fine, it'll work out. Because I think we need to ask these questions, even if they're uncomfortable. I think we need to kind of, see, I don't know if we can press pause. Maybe we can't because we're kind of in an arms race now with AI, aren't we? Like different countries developing it. I don't
0: know, Cal. <laughs> so there's no, there is no backing up. This thing is moving ahead and moving fast. Do you get called in? to analyze what's going on so people can have some kind of psychological depth on where we're going?
1: I do. I sit on different boards. But you know what's really interesting to me um, is what I see in my office, right, in my practice. You know, people used to come in and just sit across from me and we'd talk. Now they come in and they bring in their phone. And we spend time talking about an emoji someone sent to them or talking about a picture that they posted. Um, My clients with eating disorders won't just say I wanna be 50 kilos, 40 kilos, they'll say, I want a hashtag bikini bridge. I want a hashtag thigh gap. I want a box gap. And they'll show me pictures of this. Well, they'll show me pictures what, of- What is a
0: hashtag thigh gap? I-, I
1: So yeah, again, this is how- What, what does de- that mean? So we're deconstructing ourselves in such a nuanced way that we want gaps in between our legs when we stand. And a, a, a thigh gap is a gap in the thighs. A box gap is slightly up higher in the thigh. A bikini bridge, this is a thing, is when your bikini touches your two uh, hip bones and creates a bridge so it doesn't touch your stomach. You know, so again, the way that we're assessing ourselves, I say this often, if I was to just, you know, devise a cognitive exercise and poor self-esteem, I'd get, you know, young people to take bunches of, you know, a bunch of pictures of themselves, get rid of the ones they feel really ugly in, spend a ton of time editing the one they feel the best in, then get them to think of like a cute little caption, then get them to post it, then get them to wait to see how many people like it, and if 50 people oh. don't like it, get them to start all over again. And you know, we've got you know, women and men from like 12 to, I don't know, to 60 doing this day in, day out. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that we're seeing this rise in, in mental health problems at all.
0: Is this correctable? I think... Uh, Because... And maybe that's an unfair question because I say correctable as if, you know, can we go back to the past, to, to the best aspects of it and do it the way they did it and called it the good old days?
1: Yeah. I don't think we can do that. But I think what we can do is understand how these sites work. Look, I don't think anyone is out to get people. I don't think the people that make these sites are evil people and they're trying, I I don't. But I think very simply the metric for how successful a social media or online site is, is how long you stay on it. That's the metric, right? Which is why when you watch one show on, you know, on Amazon or Netflix, the other one starts right away. Why? To get you to keep watching. And it used to start in a minute, now it starts in 15 seconds, right? Why? They want you to keep watching. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the notifications. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's a variable reward system, is what psychologists call, what do you call it, uh, the slot machines, right? So sometimes I check and I have a message, sometimes I don't, but, you know, I, I could get a message at any time. So I'm kind of constantly addicted to checking. There's something there, there's that little red dot there. Now,
0: they know our minds better than we do, well, potentially- the people who design
1: they will. Well, yeah.
0: technology. Well,
1: when I have friends and they're like, oh, you know, my son or my daughter won't get off, you know, playing their games. I'm like, you know, there's a bunch of people with, you know, PhDs, like dozens of them in a room devising this game and to give it to a 12-year-old, obviously your kid can't get. <laughs> like, what <laughs> chance do they have, right? Wow. So I think when you say, can we claw it back? I think the answer is, is no, but also, yes, not in terms of going back, but in terms of being a bit more aware of how these things work. I think when you kind of, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz things, when you see what's behind the curtain. I've always been a big proponent for young people just understanding how these things work, whether it's doing a coding class or just kind of getting to the nitty gritty. I think you become more, do you know what I mean? You see the strings. I
0: need that. And I'm completely curtained off. I have no idea what the wizard looks like. Maybe that's a great exercise for me, but maybe, you know, I used to be the fastest typer. Okay. In my high school class, I could type like 130 words a minute Ooh. when I was in 11th grade because I knew I was going to be a writer. And now when I go to type a text on my iPhone, <laughs> typing with two thumbs, I've been reduced to the worst typer in the world. <laughs> and I'm wondering, can I jump into the coding and make sense of it, or am I so far gone?
1: No. You I, have,
0: can, I can't.
1: You can. And that's another wonderful thing about sort of this egalitarian side of the online world. There's a bunch of free courses online. There's amazing places you can go to learn these things. And and I think, I think we all kind of should, because I think that's the only way to kind of counter it a little bit.
0: Will, this is a strange jump in questions, but... Will sex be different because of everything that's happening?
1: Um, I think possibly. Look, you know, um, we learn vicariously, right, through what's around us, what we're exposed to, what we see. Um, I don't think we've ever had this many 11-year-olds, because that's the age that most kids are now exposed to pornography for the first time, being exposed to, to potentially very distorted ideas of what human sexuality looks like. Um, hopefully, there's enough discussions happening at home and, you know, with parents and educators kind of explaining that that's probably not, you know, what it's like and, you know, and disentangling the, the aggression you see with the sex in a lot of these sort of shows, um, uh, depictions rather. Um, so, but, but do I think it's going to change? Yeah, I think also, again, with technology, I'm mean, already we've got things like sexting, right? Which is... Where we, we, you know, people become intimate um, through sending each other pictures. Now, you know, people had, you know, first face to face sex, and they had phone sex. So sexting, I guess, is the next iteration of that. But what then happens if you're able to wear wearable technologies, and you can be in different, you know, parts of the world with your partner, fooling around? So there's a, there's a, you know, there's a potential for that as well. So I think it will change for good and for bad.
0: So we'll be able to have sex thousands of miles away, based on. Items that we're wearing that are going to make us feel like we're with the other yeah, person.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that a lot of that tech already exists. There's an app for that. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> there's an app for that.
0: I, I, I'm really showing how far behind I'm, I am in all this. Do most people know about this? I
1: don't think we do. Like, you know, I think most, I think unless you make it your business to go and find out, and the reason that I've had to just because of the work that I do just in my researching clinically right so but but I think that's what makes me really scared you know that that the people that are supposed to just be kind of making sure we're okay like with what's being developed and what's being aren't really on top of it when I watched those Zuckerberg um interactions with was it was at the senate and they were saying how do you make money I was like my heart slightly broke I'm like if these are the people do you know what I mean that they don't understand they understand so little about how this whole area works they don't understand the digital economy then how are we going to have any meaningful dis, you know uh, discussions about things like privacy and you know and our data and all of this other stuff how?
0: I guess what's also coming to the fore is that you have people who are highly successful and have reached the top of whatever they're in, but maybe when they're on their computer, uh, they don't know how to put in a password that's going to keep a hacker out. Yeah. I heard a story about somebody at that level whose password was password. Wow. Wow. And got immediately compromised. Shit. And, and because people who are older, we don't, we don't think that way.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. And yet we may be in the positions of power. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like we need young people to protect us But how can the young people protect us if they don't know what we know? They only know this new...
1: Well, this is it. And and I think you've touched on something really important that, again, I think is a really big issue. This whole age segregation that happens in our culture. And again, I think the fact that we can connect with the people we want means that predominantly we're connecting with people similar ages, similar views, similar likes. And I I don't think that's a good thing for (laughs) for society. I'm sure, you know you speak a lot about these echo chambers and we obviously speak about them politically. But I think even in terms of what you're describing here, right? So, you know, my skill set might be very different to yours, but because we only kind of hang out in our little kind of domains. And again, I think age is a big segregating factor. I know in the UK with Brexit, there was a lot made of sort of what the older people were voting for, what the younger people were voting for. And, And there's all this kind of these polemics being set up between sort of the different ages. And I think that's going to be uh, definitely an issue, especially when it comes to how we navigate society and tech.
0: I have no idea how we would get some sense of control of this because the old school people have no idea what's coming. If I talk to somebody who is 75 years old this would probably be shocking to them
1: yeah
0: or am I am I wrong am I just out of the loop
1: no no I think from what we've seen you you're probably very right um and I think it's again we know there's sort of a, a very a typical ilk of person that's in Silicon Valley that's kind of running these companies. And again, I, I don't think that their heart is in the wrong place. I think you know their their heart is probably starts off in the right place. but you know no no one knows all this stuff by themselves. You need sort of a different generational aspect, young, old, politically, sort of intellectual. you need all these things to kind of form because this is a whole new brave new world we're building, right? So you just can't have the same type of person building it.
0: And taking from what you just told me, this type of person would probably be the, be the type of person who would only want to associate with people who had similar views and liked the same thing. So this person would not be getting a, a well-rounded field of thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. And likewise, again, when you, you see those politicians asking questions like, how does Facebook make money? Well, that's a really badly informed p- politician, right? Unless. It was, you know, the, the question was supposed to be, I don't know, facetious, but you, you need to, to, we need to be informed on both sides because it's progressing, it's progressing very, very quickly and sort of even economically now. So there's all this talk of UBI and you have, you know, people pushing. What, what is UBI? The universal basic income, right? So, oh, okay. Because one of the big problems. That I heard of. Yeah. So what's the big thing? So big, we've always spoken, again, psych, you know, psychologically, the literature is very clear that when you have disparity of wealth, you have huge social issues. Of course you do. And this is the interesting thing. People think, oh, but it's okay because <coughs> it doesn't matter because the poor are much better off than the poor used to be so that that's okay they, 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 you know that it's not where they were but that doesn't matter because what people look at is the differential so even though I, if i have enough money to kind of you know feed my child and pay my mortgage if you're my neighbor and you've got three private jets and you you know you live in a 15 story house or what, you know whatever the case may be i'm still going to feel poor that i've got to get up and go to work every day and do all these things so again, there's a real misunderstanding in what they're trying to do. And I think this is a way of kind of deflecting from this huge disparity where we're going to have trillionaires and then people that can't afford medical care, is saying, okay, well, let's just give everybody a a thousand bucks a month or whatever it is. Um, And look, I'm not saying, I don't know if it'll work. I'm not an economist or it won't work. But as a psychologist, I think that, you know, I I can cite a hell of a lot of research that, you know, that suggests that that's not what, what people want just to get by when everyone else is flying.
0: Well, it also brings up something that to me is a very big issue. I don't know that there's been a time in our history where people did not have to work. What happens when you wake up in the morning and there's no work or sense of purpose to work? What will happen then?
1: I think you hit on something really important. I think you need purpose. Um, again, when you, you know, throughout my career, I, I've worked, had the chance to work with people that were kind of born retired, right? they very, very wealthy families. And that, that lack of sense of direction is, is horrible because you don't have to do anything. And I think you need have to's in life. I, I believe this, you know, I, I know a lot of people disagree with me, um, but I, I, if I've learned one thing, I think this idea of, of have to is very, very important. It allows self-discipline, it allows a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, like you say. And when all that's taken away, and, and
0: and now I'm just adding everything we've talked about up because w- what you're telling me is we're removing the you have to's so that if somebody was told you have to go out and meet a partner and they're sitting around wondering, how do I do that? Now they don't have to because they can buy this robotic sex doll and they don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And not only that, they don't have to have it complain to them (laughs) they don't have to have it say one word that they don't want to hear so some people may think that's idyllic but it sounds chilling to me
1: sounds chilling to me too and look maybe that is the next The next iteration of who we are maybe that's how we evolve right maybe that's it people keep talking about humanity um as it always was but all these algorithms you know there's there's people that argue that we're biological algorithms anyway right so maybe the next thing is that we become you know uh, this combination where we are just inbuilt with our tech and you know liaising with other tech and
0: we're just improving the algorithms
1: well yeah We're we're making them (laughs) non-organic.
0: Non-organic. I got to find some futurologists who really have set me off on something, Linda. I, this is my next mission. Brilliant. To step into the world of futurology and try to understand what's happening. But maybe I should take a coding lesson first. (laughs) Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank As, you. I had no idea when I stepped to the breakfast table that we'd be having this conversation. And I I feel like this should be my next mission to understand all this. And it sounds like this is what you're doing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I've always been fascinated by human behavior. And I think we've never been on the cusp of something more transformative than we are today as a society. So I feel uh, that it's imperative to kind of keep up with this stuff and and see how it's affecting the person that sits across from me every day.
0: Okay, you gotta promise me that we get together again, because I wanna ask you about what it's like to be a therapist. Uh, I probably would have gone in that direction and the <laughs> sexual doll's not come up, but you Get got the best them of me.
1: every time.
0: There you go. <laughs> that about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferris, as always, for pushing me to start this podcast. It's what I was meant to do, and I wouldn't be doing it if not for Tim. I want to thank Steve Cohen, the producer for James Altucher for recommending that I get to know Linda Papadopoulos and for establishing the connection. Also like to thank Steve for the steady stream of one-liners that make him the world's most intriguing live Twitter feed. Let me say thanks to Luz Fleming for engineering this episode. And a tip of the hat also goes to Philip the Magnificent and the Red Baron for the social media assistance. Thank you all for sending photos of the towns and cities where you listen to Big Questions. It's so uplifting to see the connections that we're making across the globe. It would also make my day if you take a moment to go to iTunes and rate the podcast. I'm told that's beneficial. And even better, if you'd pass along an episode you really like to someone you care about. It's all about making the right connections. And I hope that the connections you make today are great ones. See you next week. Cheers.